0: Welcome to the Tech Auntie's podcast. Where we're bringing you industry context and vision from myself, Angelia McFarland, and Gina Rosenthal. On each podcast, we will share our marketing and technology industry experiences along with the tea. Listen to us as we explain the past so you can have context to understand and create your own version of the future. So let's get into it. All
1: right. Nice to see you again, Angelia. And nice to see you again, Tony. Hi. Howdy. Howdy. Today, we're going to, to pick your brain some more about um, what the computing needs of AI, but also the impact on the environment of these computing needs. Um, but what I want to do first is introduce you again. Just so our audience knows who we're talking to, Um, our guest this episode is Tony Foster. He is a senior principal, technical marketing engineer at Dell Technologies. He's also an adjunct professor of technology at Kansas State University, or we like to call him the wonder nerd. He also describes himself as the VDI, EUC, and GPU fanatic bringing deep learning, machine learning, AI, and HPC to the virtual world. Did I get it right again? You, you got
2: it right again. And again, it's a mouthful.
0: It's a <laughs> yes, lot. it you is. You can do a, let, can have let, a lot
2: of stuff. Let, let's just stick with Wonder Nerd and uh, not try and get all the other parts in there. We'll just keep it high level. I like it. Okay. So uh,
1: last time we had you on, we had you explain what is AI because it's such a big topic. You know, some people are big scary by it. And I'm sure there are some organizations where the marketers are getting driven to to now call everything AI when it may not be. So, hopefully, we're giving them some vocabulary and understanding to do their jobs better and more efficiently. Um, today, what we wanted to dig into a little bit more is you know, we talked a little bit last time about architecture, what's needed to support one of these um, AI architectures, um, whether it's machine or deep learning or whatever it is it is at the bottom of those architectures um but we also kind of wanted to lead into a discussion about the 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 carbon footprint of these things and the impact to the environment and other things we should be aware of so you up for that i'm up for that let's okay go. let's go so cool so let's kind of level set before we get started wait i didn't ask angelia
0: angelia are you up for that i'm up i'm i'm ready let's do it okay sorry about that angelia okay so, let's level
1: set with architecture, right? So, this is not AI we we confirmed last the out last episode we talked with you. AI is not some magical, futuristic, scientific thing that only very very select few can understand. It is a technical domain with smart technical um people building the algorithms and also equally smart people architecting the computers that these algorithms are going to run on. Um, so let's level set with what does that architecture look like? Those will be familiar terms to
2: all of us. Yeah. So the architecture actually varies depending on what you're using um, and what you're doing and what you're trying to figure out. You're telling me it depends. Come on. <laughs> yeah, I, yes, I'm giving you the engineering answer. It depends. So you can have huge systems you you hear about these universities and stuff running massive uh, um, computer systems that can crunch an amazing amount of data and take up uh, buildings that are humongous the size of football fields uh, filled with computers and processing everything and that that's on the far end of the uh, spectrum. Most AI deployments, most things for um, companies, organizations, whatever, aren't anywhere close to this massive data center uh, that can crunch hundreds of billions of whatever's <laughs> in a second. Um, so, what are the key components? Yeah, yeah. Most of them consist of um, a bunch of servers, maybe a rack of servers. And even that might be generous. Um, so can these be any old servers? So you can do it. I wouldn't say any old servers, <laughs> maybe any new servers. Um, but uh, they you need to have servers, obviously. And those servers, um, typically in today's AI-driven environments, will run on GPUs. Not always do they have to have GPUs, though. There are different scenarios where CPUs are actually better for um, some AI workloads than GPUs. So that that's some of that. It depends. What's your workload? GPU is a familiar term, right?
0: I don't. I. I was gonna say. I was gonna. I was gonna have you go back. Um, and we know because we're in the industry. But you said. You said. Um, a couple things. You said not old servers, but new servers, and mm-hmm. I have heard people on on many occasions say, "Well, I have a computer, right? You know, why yeah. why why can't I use that?" So I can you can you talk a little bit about some of the advances in server technology that cuz we talked on the last episode about the software pieces there are several hardware pieces that make ai possible yeah. so and i and i think you can't yeah. really tell that story without talking about cpus and gpus but can you kind of let people sure you know those things
2: yeah so um starting back around 2000 Eight two thousand uh, ten somewhere in that time frame, you start to see um, chip manufacturers and uh, motherboard manufacturers and server manufacturers start to make a change in um, how they develop their systems, and this is really related to virtualization at that point. Um, but these advances also help with. Um, AI, MLDL, HPC workloads as well. Machine learning, um, deep learning. <laughs> all of these things, yes. Um, my bad for using acronyms and it, s- lingo. It's okay. Came on me. Um, we have all of these uh, advancements and so they start adding things into the chips. So uh, one of the things they add are accelerators to make different things run faster. Um, Some manufacturers have added encryption accelerators. Uh, Some have added uh, graphics processing into their regular processors to make things faster. So if you look at a lot of uh, general laptops out there today, um, they have the graphics processing built directly into the chip unless you're buying something that has a discrete graphics processor Um, and a graphics processor is a gpu Um, about this time as well people um at graphics processing uh places amd and nvidia specifically started figuring out hey you know we can start sending math problems into GPUs and having them do all of this work and get the results out. And this is really the forerunner of modern AI because what they figured out is drawing a picture of a tree in three dimensions, uh, for a video game is just a big math problem. Mm-hmm. So Let's put a big math problem that takes a CPU a really long time to do into a GPU. Hey, it goes a lot faster. (laughs) And so they started making advances there. And um, universities helped them and everything figure out how to improve different uh, parts of this. And so we have seen advancements in GPUs and CPUs um, over the years. And because of that, we don't necessarily want to use old hardware um, because it is much less efficient. They're making advances and stuff in here and they're making it more energy efficient. They're making it quicker to get to different decision points and stuff and so as hardware progresses, you want to try and keep up with that. Um, otherwise, you're going to be wasting energy. You're going to take longer to run your processes and everything.
1: And this, this that's what developers have always wanted, right? As, as any kind of application that they're creating, they want the hardware to be super performant so their application works correctly. So, and especially architects, architects will talk to the developer and say, what do you need? What do you expect to happen? Blah, 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 Oh, well, we need a server to do that. have this much processing and have this much, um, disk space, all the kind of things. So it's no different. I, I keep going back to this idea that, that these neural networks, these um, uh, programs are programs that are being written by a new type of developer that, can do the really hard math problems that I don't even understand. But <laughs> because but then you can talk to one of these new types of developers, these data scientists, and figure out what kind of architecture you need underneath of it, which is what Tony's describing.
2: Yeah. And, and I, I'm not saying you need to go bleeding edge, that you have to have the latest and greatest to run your environment, but you definitely want to be running on newer equipment. I um, I would
0: I would I would slightly disagree. Um, okay, Gina's is looking at me like, "Go on, marketer. Let's, let's hear it, let's hear little Miss Marketing Lady." Well, <laughs> <laughs> oh, the reason I would disagree is because the technology moves so fast. So anytime anyone asks me, because I work, I've worked in tech, like all my family is like. Well, what laptop should I get? Right, I'm like, I that's not my that's not what I do, right? But, um, uh, but I still direct them. If you have the money, right, get the best that's out there because the technology is moving so fast. If you get something less than your, because one of the biggest complaints people have is, I just bought this two years ago and it doesn't work anymore. Well, it still works. The software has gone beyond the capabilities of the hardware that you have. And so if people have the money, I tell them to get the best that they can get because then it'll last a little bit longer. I think that's what an architect would say, too. And I think that's what Tony's saying. I said
1: any old server. And I mm-hmm. think Kiki, Don—I mean, it, mm-hmm. definitely, you know, all the big vendors I worked for, there were customers that had any old server that was like running since 1999, honestly. So that's kind of like where I was going. You can't use, you yes. can't build these kind of programs and you can't architect with throwaway machines you've got to get yeah. just like what you're saying you, you don't necessarily have to have the latest and greatest but your architect your architect needs to be talking to these data scientists to find out how and it's not even that hard right because most of the neural networks have a, a yeah a, a, a map of you know this
2: is this is what you need to go have to run this on correct um and and it's not that difficult um And what I guess I'm saying is you can go out there and buy 20 servers to run your AI environment on of the current generation, or you can take an opportunity loss and wait for the next generation, and maybe that'll shrink down to 15 or 10 servers um what's that opportunity loss for you on uh your ai program yeah you can run it on 20 systems today go for it if you can run it on 15 or 10 systems tomorrow and you're saving x amount of dollars on those systems plus x amount operating those systems is the cost actually going to be worth it? Those are the questions. That's
1: actually part of the other thing we wanted to talk about. Did we cover everything? I think we didn't really talk about I, I, networking or anything like that, but
2: we we didn't really talk about networking. And, and my hope is uh, most of your audience wouldn't have to get into the <laughs> nitty gritty details. Of, All right. I'm well, you need a super right. fast network to do this and but- you need it-
0: Tony, I don't know. As a former mar- networking marketer, I think I don't. I don't think we. Need, I don't think most of our audience needs to go deep in networking. What? But okay. I think they have to have a clear understanding of where they need. They need throughput.
2: Okay. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. He's um, like and, uh, and, networking, <laughs> and, and with the AI you do need the throughput you you that is one place you cannot skimp on your architecture is having a really lousy network you can't go to best buy or uh, a big box store somewhere and just buy oh give me that uh switch and expect to run your ai on like a one gig network you can't even do it really on a 10 gig network anymore um you've got to have a good solid network and the reason you need a good solid network for your ai is you're moving a lot of data around um and if your ai spans more than one system you're going to be pulling data in out of your data lake and sending it to multiple systems and multiple systems are going to be talking with each other and all of that traffic is large there's a lot going back and forth in all of those Um, so a lot of times um, today's modern data centers are about uh, 25 gig uh, networks uh, is typically the bottom end Um, you'll see 40 uh, 80 100 gig uh, networks Uh, and 100 gig is where a lot of ai runs right now um, the two hundred gigs fast approaching four hundred gigs um uh, is what the big supercomputer systems are now using wow,
0: so and that's because yeah. they're the that that becomes your bottleneck because the systems are at the point where they're delivering answers in sub seconds, and if it can't move across the network fast enough to whatever other computer it has to get an answer from. That's your bottleneck. That's what takes the, that that's what increases your time to discovery. Absolutely. Yes. Look
1: at Angelia coming through I with the network tech.
0: Networking Look, over here. Wow, that's awesome.
1: <laughs> so I think that's a pretty clear, you know, uh, that was a really great description, actually, Tony, about it kind of included all the other components, but this is a lot of work going on. Right, And we talked about the what's the trade-offs um, from a business perspective. But I know a lot of companies now have um, ESG, which is environmental, social. society. Social. Is, it, is it social or
0: society? I thought it was social. Okay, social slash I thought it was society. social too. but
1: Social and governance, right, uh, that they have to worry about. So um, we're going to get into some of the social aspects in later episodes of, of running AI. But – what about uh this is lots of computers, even 10, 20 computers can be a lot for an, if it's a new project in a bigger data center. So what kind of um what kind of carbon footprint are we talking about? And is it different at different stages of uh of of the lifespan, I guess, of a neural network?
2: So it it does vary across lifespans. And we didn't talk about this on the uh last episode I was on, but With um, AI, you have typically three areas um, in the life cycle. You have the development or training stage of your model. And that's the biggest uh, draw on power and resources and everything. Because basically, you're running this nonstop training and tweaking and running it again and training and tweaking and running again until you... Get the results you want. So that uses a lot of power, that uses a lot of resources, that uses a lot of data. Water um, too, right? Cooling. Yes, uh, depending on how you're actually cooling your data center. Um, unless you're lucky enough to be in a place that is cool um, 24 uh, 7, and you uh. can just open the vents. <laughs> And let the heat out. um, Yeah, you're going to be cooling that uh, data center, be it with water, be it with uh, um, some other form of cooling. Um, And then next, you have your validation phase. Your validation phase tends to be shorter. It still can be as intense as training, but not quite. And that's taking a new set of data. And just making sure it returns valid results off of that. Uh, Once it's trained. Once it's trained. Yeah. We think we have the right model and everything. Let's make sure that this is actually returning what uh, the training data says it's returning. Let's run this new stuff through it. Um, And then you have the actual usage uh, phase where everything's trained. We're not pumping new data and stuff into it or we're not pumping training data and stuff into it. We're just taking new requests, putting that into it, and uh, running it. And that's the least intensive of uh, a model's lifecycle. And a trained model can actually run on something about the size of a deck of cards. I know our viewers can't see what I'm holding up. Uh, This is a Jetson Nano. And it's about the size of a deck of cards, and it has a uh, GPU on it. And so a lot of models, once they've been trained in everything and optimized, can run on something as small as a pack of playing cards. And um, well, they, have they be- can become very energy
1: efficient. Yes. Yeah, they have to be small like that because they have them in cars that are autonomous, right? Mm-hmm. Um, things like that they already have so they have to be smaller i wanted to talk about um that there's been some estimates of the co2 emissions in tons from the different trained models and i'm glad people can't see me because <sighs> i'm looking over my glasses but um gpt3 was to train it took 502 tons of co2 emissions mm-hmm. and that's compared to like somebody traveling from New York to San Francisco is about one ten of CO two. So, is that kind of what you're seeing with the training models in general, like that
2: type of? Is so uh, impact? It, It's similar, um, and I don't have exact numbers because that uh, I, I'm not an admissions expert. So I, <laughs> the. Everything I say is very generalized uh, on this topic. Just to be clear and uh, level set, so somebody doesn't go, Tony Foster from Dell said. Uh, Yeah, (laughs) yeah, 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 yeah. yeah.
1: Uh, I hear Uh, you. I get it. I just had a picture, yes. So I knew where the
2: picture was, and I pulled it. Um, But yes, they they can be, and they can also be lower. So, um, when you sit there and look at, uh, the carbon impact of training models and everything, um, there's actually more to it than just, oh, this is how much power it took to power these servers. you also have to figure in cooling costs, for example, Mm -hmm. um, you have to figure in the power used for the switches. You have to figure in the power for the sand. All of these things uh, come into play, and are all variables in what that number is. And so, if you do liquid cooling in your data center, so all of your servers now have uh, liquid uh, cooling packs on them that just plug into ports on the uh, rack and go out to a. Uh, uh, giant water condenser uh, you actually are more efficient that way because it is a uh, direct heat transfer of um, your heat as opposed to your processors giving heat off into the air in the server room that air then going through a ac unit and then being transferred there are fewer steps therefore it's more efficient and so you can reduce your carbon print uh, in that manner Um, you can also and this goes back to you don't have to use the latest and greatest but you should be fairly up to date newer cards are getting more efficient so newer Intel processors newer AMD processors newer NVIDIA GPUs um, are all getting more efficient in how they process data and how they use power
1: so are the models or some models more efficient
2: than others? Yes. Uh, some models are more efficient than other models. Um, and, and when you say that, you're talking about the way the software is written. Right? Correct. Um, for example, if you can have a um, process that is all localized to one GPU or one processor, and doesn't have to go get data from another uh, server, that's going to be more energy efficient than having to go fetch data from another server in most cases. Just because it's all there, it can do uh, gets and pulls from the local memory um, and it doesn't have to make as many trips and stuff and there's less um, traffic back and forth. And that's really getting into that data scientist uh, sort of thing, where they have to know their model and how it's structured to be able to optimize um, power consumption in that respect.
1: That's right. So it is just it's just science. It's not. What was going to say though, real quickly? Like, so if you have more data that you need to train the model on, what's the impact as far as environmental? Is that the same as initially training, or is it? Does it depend on the amount of data?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, excuse me. It, It does, it both depends on the amount of data that you're using as well as are you doing an additive training where I have the model that I've already trained and I'm going to run new data to improve its training and publish that. Or am I starting all the way over at the beginning of training this model right. and going through?
1: So then, so, the the third, the other thing you said, like, I'm just thinking: if I'm a business person, which what which scenario am I going to choose if I'm worried about my ESG score? So if I went to the the as a service model, I'm now sharing a model with a whole bunch of other people. Does that is that more is that Better on the ESG score than running my own
2: because I'm it sharing should it. be better on the ESG score. Okay. Um, most of the time, it tends to be better on the ESG score, but then you get into some other um, impacts uh, with that, and they're not necessarily environmental impacts, but they can be social impacts. Who who are you sharing? um the model with if it's a used car dealership and uh maybe the other team or the other group that's using it or one of the other groups using it is um a bakery is the model data specific enough for both of those to run efficiently mm-hmm. or do you have to tune the model um significantly to get it where you want. And so that can mess with your um, ESG score and it can mess with a bunch of other things because used car salesman's going, this has got great uh, bread making capabilities. Just put it right there on the (laughs) block. You're going to have a great loaf of bread by the time you go home. That's what the computer's telling me.
1: We're bumping up to time, Tony. Did you want to say anything else? Because I know this is a topic you're really interested in—is the environmental impacts. Uh,
2: so, I my honest God answer is, hang on, folks. It's going to be real interesting over the next year, year and a half, as everybody is really focused on these ESG scores and um, really trying to optimize. So that uh, data centers become more efficient, these models become more efficient, and the uh, carbon footprint for these things starts dropping. And I expect we'll actually see somewhat of a hockey stick drop. Okay, mm. um, that's good to on our carbon footprints uh, as we move forward.
1: That's good to hear. That's that really is. good to hear. Um, and I we really thank you. Did you have another question?
0: No, no, no. I'm all set. I really appreciated this conversation. Thank you so much, Tony. I learned a lot. I learned a
2: lot, too. It's it's a pleasure to be here with both of you ladies. It's fun.
1: It's great. Being with the Tech Aunties is the best, right? That's right. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) No, I think this was really good, these last couple of episodes we recorded with you, because um, just making this really plain talk to people that need to work in this new it's not an emerging industry, but it kind of feels like it. So lots of people getting acquainted to things. Oh, that we our time is up.
0: <laughs> it is so
1: um yeah, Tony, one more time. Tell everybody where they can follow you and find you because you always post really interesting stuff on these topics.
2: Yeah. So you can find me on LinkedIn, uh slash in slash wonder nerd. You can find me on Twitter and I know, Gina, I can see you rolling your yes. eyes already. <laughs> uh wonder <laughs> underscore nerd uh you can find me on wondernerd.net uh, that's my website or if you're on the k-state campus you can find me uh wandering around the uh, computer labs
0: <laughs> excellent that's so cool awesome all right well Angela, this was great too that was another great another one in the can thank yes. you tony thanks tony you're
2: more than welcome
0: Thank you for joining us today on the tech aunties podcast if you have a topic you would like us to cover please connect with us on linkedin and instagram you can also find this episode and others at tech until next
2: time y'all be sweet